152 yards should be just a nice, comfortable nine iron for him. They're going to go nuts when he hits this thing. <laughs> Yo, yo, yo. Welcome back, golf fans. This is the Preferred Lines podcast and live stream. I am happy and thrilled to have you here. My name is Joe Idoni. You can find me at Tour Picks on Twitter. And I have an incredible show lined up for you tonight. We are going to preview the Genesis Scottish Open with a good friend of mine back for like his third appearance on the show that I'm going to bring up and talk to in just a few minutes. We're going to talk the sort of new evolution of the DraftKings Rainmakers game, which I know nothing about, and I'm excited to learn about it with you tonight. Uh, give our picks to win the Scottish Open. I got a great course preview lined up as well, and then I'm going to hit you with some final thoughts before we get out of here. Welcome in, gang. It's good to see some of you guys back after a week hiatus up in the mountains last week. Fran, Brent, all of you guys. Um Really appreciate you jumping in, Ted, as well. Thank you to everyone for joining the show. If you are new here, please jump on over to the YouTube page for Preferred Lines if you're checking this out on Twitter. Subscribe to that channel. Like, comment, do anything to sort of help promote the show. It is always greatly appreciated, as well as the support of the Golf Guys and the Fantasy Golf Pod, which you see sponsored up there in your top left corner. New hats available at PreferredLinesGolf.com. Without further ado, let's just get right into it. I'm excited to bring the guests back onto the show. My man, Jason Roslin at DFS Golfer 23 on Twitter. You can't miss him. He's debuting new content over with the Fantasy Golf Bag. What's up, brother? How are you? Good evening. Joe, it's so funny. I'm looking at our chat, and, and Brent says your intro just slapped so hard. Dude, I was so pumped up when you were doing that. I got to agree with him. It is. It's got to be one of the best intros out there, my man. Thank you, man. I've been working on, on the video editing stuff. You know I'm a one-man band over here, and we we, we it. keep it nice, tight little core, and we try to do the best we can. So I appreciate that from you and Brent as well. So before we get started, we were just talking before we went hot, and I'm excited to have you on this week because you have a special lineage to the Scottish Open and, and an event that you won a particular contest on many years ago. Why don't you tell us the people like a little bit more about that? Because I think it's an amazing and fascinating story. Yeah, hell yeah. I, I really wish that uh, one of our, our great fantasy provider sites would do this again. Because six years ago, FanDuel had a live uh, Scottish Open experience. And you had to win qualifiers in it. And there were 10 of us. Uh, that won this trip and we flew over, we flew into Edinburgh and our first couple of days, uh, we played one course around the Edinburgh area and then we drove up the Glen Eagles, the Ryder Cup course. They wined and dined us for two days there. And then we uh, traveled down to the Dundonald Links where the Scottish Open was six years ago, uh, watched it on Sunday. Uh, I came in second for a nice little paycheck of 40K there. Uh, funny enough. As we're back to this year, I had a choice between Rory and Ricky six years ago. Went with Rory, cost me the ship. Had I gone Ricky, yeah, I would have won it. But it's funny because they're honestly like neck and neck as we come back to it. Probably still go Rory to be completely honest with you. But nonetheless, um, and then we got to play Dundonald the day after on Monday morning. So awesome experience by FanDuel. Super cool. Really wish they'd do it again because I had never been over to Scotland before. So it was a really cool experience. Uh, 
went with uh, our buddy uh, Alex Baker over at Stochastic. Uh, we met on that trip, and it was just a super, super fun time. Yeah, that is really cool. So before we sort of talk about the newest evolution in DFS, tell me a little bit about just what you've seen as sort of one of the people that were big into this five years ago and even longer before that in terms of the evolution of the player, the game, the contests that are available, just the status of daily fantasy golf, how it's progressed over the last five years to where we are now. Yeah, I think it's probably a double-edged sword a little bit. And when I mean that, I say we've seen tremendous growth. Prize pools are huge. Each and every week, we're getting 200, 250. We're getting multiple millionaire makers at the major championships and the players. So growth, tremendous. DraftKings loves PGA DFS, right? (laughs) But with that, competition's gotten harder. More people take an interest to it. And when more people take an interest, of course, the – the, the people that are able to get their hands on statistics, more and more people want those. So more and more people are willing to invest in getting them. And what's come out over the last five years, six years, I mean, Joe, you've been doing this basically as long as I have. There was no strokes gained seven years ago. I remember a Twitter battle between one guy and another guy. When it wasn't me, believe it or not. Back then, I, it typically would be. It wasn't me deciding who coined the term strokes gained ball striking. Right? Well, <laughs> Now it's just standard operating procedures. So um, I think, again, double-edged sword, awesome to see the growth. But at the same time, information's gotten better and the players gotten better. The optimal lineups that are being made each week, they're so much better than they used to be. So uh, with better prizes comes better competition. Yeah, the information that's available now is unbelievable, not only just like on Twitter, but the different websites that are putting out content, uh, the Discord channels, all of that stuff is is definitely ramped up. Like, you know, I, I've tried to focus more of this show on sort of the betting angle, and I talk to a lot of people who will explain to me and they convey that the difference between fantasy and betting is that betting you're betting against the books and you can all sort of win together versus fantasy you're you're competing against one another but to me it's like in a way i feel like people lose sight that you are also competing a little bit against the app itself and that they are taking a percentage of the rake just as a sports book would take their percentage of juice as well like what do you know because i'm a little bit like ignorant in a sense to what the vig is on a typical contest in terms of do you have any insight in terms of how much of the the money that goes in is actually distributed amongst the players yeah i mean it, it depends on the contest uh, okay. of course but i think for for the 250k one that you and i are talking about that the normal vig is anywhere between 18 and 22 percent and if you think about that that inevitably is hard to be in and of itself long term right when you Absolutely. go into an investment, anything, you know, whether it be the stock market, real estate, you know, you're hoping for a 7% annualized return. You're already going up against 18%. I mean, you're in you're in a hole already. So, um, yeah, that's tough to beat. And even if there was an edge greater than that, that take, uh, I think it's gotten significantly reduced in the DFS side just with the information that's out there uh, and the level of player that's come into the market. Absolutely. I mean, 18 to 20 percent is almost impossible to beat. And I have, you know, I come from not so much a schooling, but very much someone who was into heavily into statistics and probability and how they relate to sports my whole life. And I know that you think very much along the same lines. And I've talked to you before in DMs privately just about like 
investment portfolios and situations. And I know that you have a, a really good background and strong suit in that as well. How do you take that information and sort of your background there and apply that toward trying to turn a profit in whether it be fantasy or betting on sports? Yeah, I think it's it's the ability to and this is where, you know, I don't want to go into Rainmakers too much, but this is where I think the ability to project and understand the game that you are playing still creates an edge. And and I think for the Rainmaker side, there it's still so new that a lot of people are trying to learn the game uh, while in putting their research into play. Um so, so I guess for me, it's it's still being able to project out golfers that the books or DraftKings via their pricing or Rainmakers via how much they cost uh, is not correct. You know, I think last week, and this is what I do love about golf and golf betting specifically, we got a guy last week at the John Deere Classic that more or less nobody had ever heard of, William Mao, right? And I'm, yeah. I'm probably pronouncing his last name incorrect because yeah. we've never seen him before. Now, if you follow the college game, you know who this kid is, All-American three times. T6 paid off a 7-1 to one top 20, you know, with ease. So I still think the ability to project out things like that is is still an edge to be had. Uh, and I think with that, that, that continues the lure of being able to invest over time rather than, you know, uh, it, even with betting, you may have a miss in a week, right? But you – if you still are projecting out correctly and have the opportunity for things like last week, Aberg when he first came out, Maury Cowell when he first came out, mm-hmm. I, I still think there's an edge. You can apply that from betting to Rainmakers to just straight up DFS. Yeah, absolutely. So let's get into it. Like, give me the, as someone who has never done it before, and, and maybe any of my listeners who may or be unfamiliar with it, give me like a quick one minute synopsis on Rainmakers 101 for dummies. Yep. So first and foremost, I think the easiest way is to translate the DFS, uh, what the DFS part of the game brings into Rainmakers. So one, you pick five guys, any five guys you want. Can be Scott, like for example, this week, can be Scotty, can be Rory, can be Cantlay, can be Xander, can be Victor if you want, could be Tommy. Flinders. On the same team? You can have all, all five? On the same team. All on the same team. Okay. It, you have a captain spot. So that differentiates the lineup, right? Because Obviously, you have five different combinations of guys that you can put in that captain spot. Um, so uh, that's kind of a differentiator. The second differentiator is it goes by tiers. So if you have you ever done um, like uh, trading cards growing up? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So think about it as like each card is numbered, right? And the lowest serial number is typically the most valuable. Well, DraftKings has that exact same concept. It breaks it down to five different tiers. So Tops Chrome, Tops Finest, Regular Tops. I think about it that way, right? So DraftKings has Core, Rare, Elite, Legendary, Rainmakers. Five different levels. Each one has a a specific amount of cards to it. Obviously, at at the base level Core, there's a ton of cards. ton of Scotty Schefflers, ton of ROMs and, and whatnot. However, if you have the lowest total serial number of your entire cards... That's the tiebreaker. So there are no ties in Rainmakers. You could have the same lineup as somebody, but as long as you got the lowest total serial number of all the players, your lineup ends up getting it instead of the the guy that has the same lineup as you. So there's rarely ever any ties, and you can play the best lineup each week. Nice thing is, the last point I'll make, once you buy the cards, you own the cards for the whole season. So it's a season-long component mixed in. I think for me, 
when I jumped in at first. That's what I loved. There were a couple of guys, you know, at the beginning of when this came out that I saw playing well, like Taylor Moore, Wyndham Clark. These guys, nobody wanted to be dating. Now, as the season's gone on, people have really wanted them. Uh, and there's a, another element to that. I won't get too far in the weeds. I think this is a good place to stop, see if you have any questions. But that's kind of the overview. Pick anybody you want, five guys, different levels that you can play at. And, of course, at each level, you can win different amount of money. Okay, so you mentioned you can basically take the five best players in the field, you know, to your opinion. How are you acquiring those cards for those players? And, like, what is the cost like in order to get Scotty, Rory, you know, Spieth, all these players on one team? Yep. So, funny enough, Jordan Spieth doesn't have a card. So, they had to opt in. Yeah, this is just kind of an aside. Funny thing about the PGA Tour. Uh, Oh, because he has the FanDuel deal? Yeah, he's got the FanDuel deal, and Ricky has something else that he didn't want to do it, and Justin Rose had something else he didn't want to do it. So they had to all opt in. Those were the three big guys that didn't get in. Plus, they didn't get some of the rookies in, like they didn't get Aberg and a couple of other Corn Ferry Tour guys. But, okay, so let's start. At the core level, in a, in a regular week like this, the Scottish Open, you can win about $2,000 for first place. In a major championship, you can win up to 3000 or 5000 So. Pretty good, you know, not bad. Uh, for example, this week, a Scotty card, which is the most expensive card, as you can imagine, at the core level, $28. Rory is $16. Cantlay's $14. Hovland's okay. $15. Shuffle is $15. So let's just say $30, probably like $90, maybe $100 at the most. You can get the five best players in the field this week. So you're not – like opening a pack of cards in a sense. You're literally handpicking the ones that you want. Yeah. So a couple of different strategies there. You can okay. absolutely buy packs. That's kind of the cool thing about how I how I made the synopsis to or, or the, the correlation to trading cards, right? You can open yeah. packs of cards and inevitably the, the EV comes from a $300 pack, you open it and you get a $500 ROM card, right? That you could sell automatically. So there's that pack opening element to it that you can buy for a specific price. And then you can buy just the individual cards of the players. Okay. And this is all done right within the DraftKings app. Yep. Sorry. I forgot to put that in. All done through the DraftKings app. You'll see the marketplace tab either on their website or on the app. Uh, you click there and it brings you to it. Yep. Okay. Any, um, I'm going to get in this week. You've sold yep. me. What's like number one tip for someone in their very first contest? Like, are they... Am I going to be competing against this was my problem in a sense with DraftKings and that I felt like I was out bankrolled by a lot of the really sharp players. And eventually over time, if you're out bankrolled against others that you're competing with, it's hard to win, Um, especially when you have an 18 to 20 percent VIG on whatever the payouts are the numbers game just doesn't add up versus the reason I kind of stuck with betting is whether you're betting 25, a hundred, a thousand, $10,000 per player, the payouts are all the same and it doesn't mess with your probabilities in terms of hitting a victory. I feel like the less, if you're in a 150 lineup contest and you only enter three lineups, it messes with your probability versus entering 150 lineups. Yeah. So I think to, to answer your question about how many people we're playing against, you know, I, I can totally, I can answer that question to you. Um, number one, number two, I think the best utilization that, that I, that I can think of in terms of a rainmaker game, if you're looking to 
dive into it like some people do DFS, right? They go all in, they've got their 20,000 bankroll or whatever it is, and, you know, they, they allocate it the way they want. Uh, for Rainmakers, because it's a season-long thing component, with each week you can win money like, like this week, Obviously, the most use you're going to get out of these cards, if you get it, for example, this year it was the Players' Championship. I'm sure next year it'll be available for the Tournament of Champions, right? Mm-hmm. Having your cards, let's say for next year, right, I'm huge on Ludwig Aberg. When he comes out and has cards next season, he's a guy that I'll invest in right at the beginning of the season and hold him through pretty much through the end of the year, right, because he's going to play a ton. Again, I don't want to get too far in the weeds because there's certain strategies that you can look into Rainmakers that – has nothing to do with the DFS component, just investing in the players themselves. Yeah. Uh, you know, which for me is really, really a cool thing uh, because the marketplace that I mentioned, it fluctuates in prices. So for somebody looking to get involved this week that loves the PGA Tour, honestly, Joe, I would tell you to turn to the Barbersaw because you're going to be able to get guys super cheap and be able to win basically the same amount of money for first place. So not as much money is going to the Barbersaw this week for Rainmakers, but first places, they're very top-heavy. So you can get guys like, for example, you know, I'm high on Cam Champ over at the Barbersaw this week. You can get his core cards for $1 compared to the $27 you can get for Scotty Scheffler, right? Obviously, Cam Champ's not going to play this next week at the Open Championship, so you wouldn't be able to use that card. But again, a good way to get your feet wet. It's not going to cost you a lot of money to make a lineup at all. And you've got that lineup if you make it properly, probably for the whole entire fall swing. You know, Champ will play in the fall swing, guys like Harry Higgs, Austin Smotherman, um, you know, guys that are decent at golf and in events like this can, can certainly help you win some money. See, this is the component that I think interests me the most, Jason, is the opportunity to like, one, like, buy low on a player and just sort of invest in them at a low mark. And the, also the opportunity to like sell the hype on someone that you think is overhyped in a sense. And I think like, I, I really enjoy the jock market app. I, I love it. I, I play it every week. I have a couple of grand in there. I do the contest. I do the live show. But the one thing for me is like, I wish there was a component to jock market where you could hold a player. Like I could buy it's it's every week you start from scratch and your shares cash out. I would love like Ludwig's probably a bad example because he was so well hyped coming in and he's kind of proven this out, but the opportunity to really like just buy shares of a rookie golfer early and then just hold them for a number of years and watch them go up. I think it's a really cool component. I can remember like when I was, when I was really into trading cards, like they had, I remember I was with my brother and I busted open this pack of football cards and they had these rookie cards that were numbered to the player number on the jersey, right? How, whatever, if the guy was number 88, they would make 88 cards. So I pulled out of this pack a David Terrell rookie card. David Terrell wore number one at Michigan. So it was a one of one. And I remember talking, like, I was like 12 years old. I remember like having long conversations with my brother about it. I ended up, it was so hyped. I traded that one card into a shop and got like 40 Randy Moss cards assigned football because he had gone to Oakland and his stock was kind of down. And Terrell ended up being like a bust. And that card was worth nothing five years later. So that aspect, long story, but that aspect of it to sort of invest in a player in a sense in this way and just sort of hold it and watch the value of that potentially incrementally creep up over the six months to a year to five years is a really cool, interesting element to this where it's not just every week things reset for you. 
for sure. I think one step further in that, this is a little intricate part of the game, but I'll give you for example. Um, we know sometimes PGA Tour players will announce where they're going to play weeks before. Mm-hmm. So what I did is a part of the Rainmakers game to try and help everybody get into it. Uh, I created these tools and, and have now joined Lucky Trader and worked with the developers there. And these guys are so talented. It's crazy. They've put it to uh, they've put it on the internet now. My the tools that I created and they've done an amazing job. And one of the tools that I created was a PGA Tour scheduler prediction. So it takes you and I've been doing this long enough. We basically know who's going to play the Honda Classic now, yeah. right? I mean, you and yep. I, we can look at a FedEx standings and be like, okay, yep, who's going to play based on years past, so on and so forth. Um, same thing with the Scottish stuff like that. So what I've done is I've put that into a scheduler and done the entire year out. So that I'll give you just an example. Tyrell Hatton, we knew when he committed to the Valero Texas Open was going to be the odds favorite, right? So mm-hmm. I bought his cards two weeks in advance, knowing that. And in those two weeks, when it came Valero Texas time and he was printed as odds favorite, the card tripled in value. I instantly sold it. I bought it for 350 sold it for right around 900 and I was done. I, I didn't even care about the return. It didn't matter. You know, missing the cut. But those are the types of things in the Rainmaker game that makes it seem like stocks. However, I got in trouble for this for one of our friends on Twitter, Nelson Adcock. The only problem is, is that there's an end date to these Rainmaker cards, right? So it's mm-hmm. a, they've committed to a season-long thing. So as the season progresses and more cards come out into supply, the actual overall expected value of each card does decrease. That doesn't mean in a weekly synopsis it will increase because it certainly will and we're seeing that like i said with guys that are playing the barbersaw this week uh but inevitably at the beginning of the season there's a ton of equity for going into players that again like olivia gayberg maybe like akshay batia next season that could end up having massive seasons but at the beginning you know people don't know about them or don't want them yet again there's a there's a threshold so i projected around the open championship where we are now to really start to see prices decrease instead of increase. And that was about, I would say three weeks late. It kind of happened about a month ago after the U S open is when, yeah, when we really started to see prices decrease before then on a weekly basis, we would, we would see dramatic increases, but as more supply came out and the total prize pool being given out decreased, one can imagine that relationship obviously has an effect on what people are willing to pay for the cards. Yeah, well, it's, it sounds very cool, man. And I know yourself and and my other body, my other buddy, excuse me, Model Maniac have been producing a lot of really cool content for it. So like being and I kind of feel this way with jock market, like being sort of first and sort of in there early, like you were in the original DFS PGA slates and stuff like that gives you that opportunity. So to be able to follow people who are knowledgeable in it, who understand it and are willing to sort of share that content because not all the great players are willing to really give out genuine content. So the two of you both, I know will do that. And it does sound very cool, but I do want to talk. Um, let's talk before we get to Scottish, let's yeah. talk just real briefly, uh, Ryder cup stuff. I know my guy Brent here nailed Sepp Straka last week. Who do you think are going to get the captain spots on team Europe this year? Pick your guys. Oh man. I, yes. Sep is Sep in it now after the latest update or is he still like needing a captain's pick? Let's say for the sake of the argument that he needs a captain's pick, would you give it to him? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. 
Okay. Um, Would you I, give Ludwig? Yes, 100%. From what okay. I've watched in the last couple of weeks, this guy in a match play setting, he's not going to miss a fairway or a green. It's just it, – and he seems cool, calm, and collected. To, to me, he is this era's Henrik Stenson maybe better. Honest to God, I mean, I know Henrik Stenson's a major championship, but after watching this kid play and watching his swing and his demeanor, I, I think he's got all the tools, to be honest with you. Yeah, I'm extremely impressed with him. I have been for a while, and I just think that even in such a short time period – he's really shown the ability to separate from like people on an individual round basis. Now the last two tournaments, he's had one round where he's, he's sort of played below, you know, the expectation level of not only himself, but the field average, which has been the reason he probably hasn't won two tournaments in the last two starts. Um, but three of his four rounds have been so low. And I feel like he's the type of guy where he's gaining five, six strokes and a single round of play that you can kind of throw out there in a little bit of reckless abandon. If you're a European coach and just be like, yeah, you know, go take out Jordan Spieth. Like, you might be able to, but if you lose, like, we're not really losing anything because you kind of were added to this team so late. It's not like if we put Hovland against Spieth, you know, and Hovland loses, that's a big blow. But we throw Ludwig out there, and, like, who knows, honestly, what could happen because he has the ability to just shoot 64s relatively easily. He's going to hit every fairway and every green and frustrate the hell out of people when he's driving it past them perfectly straight. That I think he's a perfect type player that I would want in an individual match play format, especially for that team. Me too. Me too. Uh, honestly, uh, I, I'm fully behind the Aberg train. I'm behind Sep, so we need four more. If we're going to say, let's see, you know, Rom, Rory, Fleetwood, Lowry. Th those are like the four that I think will end up being like definite automatic qualifiers. Right now, it looks like Yannick Paul and Adrian Maronk would be like five, six in that regard. Yeah. That. Okay, I'm fine with that. But so, Hatton's got to be on the team. You didn't mention Hatton, right? Yeah, why? Why are you seeing? Oh, yeah, he's way down in the rankings right now. He's number 18, but obviously he's an automatic. He's pick, on the so. team. Yeah, so he would be number five, right? So I guess Moronk would be six. So that would Fitzpatrick leave. Fitzpatrick is on the team. Fitzy as well. Yeah, why aren't these? Oh, you know what? They don't have the. This is just Europe rankings. That's why. You know okay. how they have a combined rankings with yes. the world? Yeah. Okay. So those are. Morocco's an interesting one, though, to me, because yeah. he won the Italian Open, which was at um, San Marco, which is at this course. And he's been honestly playing fantastic on the DP World Tour. His numbers are through the roof. He's actually a guy that I considered this week. But as we sort of look to the Scottish, I mean, you as someone who has a has sort of an intimate history with this event, like give me a couple of course notes that you have on the place and what you're looking for at the uh, Renaissance Club over there in, in North Berwick. Yeah, two more guys for that Ryder Cup team. I think you got to give the Hoygaard twins a real long look. Both of them? Both of them. Rasmus moved up to the number five spot on just the Europe rankings, winning last week at the Emmerland. So, okay. and Nikolai has shown on the PGA Tour the guy can compete. So, I don't know. I think maybe you got to give both a look. That would leave two spots open, which I mean, those are a little bit more uh, in question to me. But what I love about the Renaissance Club it's got such a weird setup, right? Three par fives, five par threes, and a par 70. So scoring gets wonky, right? Two years we've gotten 18 under or better. The other two years played like a major championship. You know, obviously the wind had a lot to do with that. But what I did notice last year when the wind was up, 
top seven in the field all gain strokes in every single compartment, putting around the green, uh, iron play, and driver. So I don't I don't mean to sound uh, typical in that regard, but a guy that can do it all rather than just relies on either just ball striking or just around the green play to me is is who I'm looking for this week. Yeah, I agree with you. Here are some of the sort of notes that I have. Obviously, this week, the strength of the field uh, for this event is is through the roof. Nine of the top 11 in the world, with the exception of of Cam Smith and, and John Rahm, who I was kind of curious uh, why he didn't want to play this week. But obviously, Xander Schauffele returns to defend his title this year. Um, Aaron Rye and Minwoo Lee are also champions that are in the field from recent we- from recent years. Excuse me. Yep. Um, you know, Tom Doak design, it kind of – you want to think of it as a Scottish links course, but I think it doesn't totally hold all those components that many uh, architectural people would consider a linksy course. There are some trees. There's sort of that recognizable wall feature on the one hole. And then of course you get sort of the, the thick rough that we're used to over there. Primary defense as with any sort of course in Scotland is the weather and the wind and it's unpredictable nature and its ability to sort of shift from morning to afternoon drastically and quickly. You mentioned it a par 70 with the three par fives Um, this year. They actually shortened number seven to a 500 yard par four as last year. This course did play as a par 71. Uh, fescue greens, which are, are slow in comparison to PGA Tour standards. Um, analyzing some sort of winter trends, I noticed that three of the last four were um, 16th or better in driving distance for the week, which I think was notable, and none ranked better than 30th in terms of, of driving accuracy. Actually, a couple of them were in the bottom half of the field. Um, so it's definitely more for me, of course, that favors distance over accuracy as the 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 miss in the rough is pretty negligible. If you have a huge miss, of course, you're going to pay. Um, but it ranked 33rd out of 37 courses last year in terms of rough penalty for for inconsequential misses. Basically, greens and regulation rates are up, but there isn't around the green component, although the greens are really large in size. Um, a proximity is important. Like anytime you get these giant greens, you can, you don't want to leave yourself on slow, tricky fescue greens, like 75 foot putts. Like it's a recipe for disaster in terms of three footers. It has a high percentage of misses from inside five feet as well. So sort of, sort of tricky in terms of, of the field, um, from, you know, Ryan Burns, in terms of some form stuff, uh, Ryan Burns, before they won here, finished runner-up the prior week, which I thought was an interesting trend. Uh, Xander, of course, came in hot as well off the Travelers win. And didn't didn't he win, like, the J.P. McManus last year right before this? He went on a run that I thought was not going to stop at the British yeah. Open. So, yeah, I thought he was going to take it down last year. Yeah, he was He was on a great run. Top five in course history in the field are, of course, Shoffley, uh, Fitz, Thomas Dietrich, Tommy Fleetwood, and Lucas Herbert. Um, Shoffley's gained an average of 2.7 strokes per round played here over his eight rounds. Um, notable Terrell Hatton, who we spoke about before, has been second best in terms of ball striking over a 12-round span. And to me, it's it's... It's hard on a Monday looking at the Scottish Open to make a lot of definitive decisions, whether it be DFS or Rainmakers or betting, um, just without a real firm grasp on what the weather is going to look like. And if there's an advantageous wave, I know last year there was a, I don't know if it was AM or PM, but one of the waves had a pretty pretty noticeable uh, two-stroke difference between scoring average, right? 
And Scotty was in the good wave and missed the cut, by the way. It was one of really? his like, only missed cuts. I remember watching. I think he was paired with Hovland. Um, yeah, I, I, I got to be honest. I, I love this course because it, it kind of has all of Scotland's courses in one. It's got the ocean holes, you know, where it borders right along the North Berwick Sound. And then it goes inland, like you said, and kind of has that parkland feel. So um, that's kind of why I think that the Scottish Open decided to stay here. It's definitely elevated the event, and obviously the PGA Tour took notice. You know, owning half of it now. Or yeah, absolutely. All right, I'm going to kick it to. Uh, I'm going to kick it to the board. Let's see if we yeah, find any guys that that we like this week. Scotty Scheffler, no surprise. Your favorite hasn't finished. I think. I heard worse than 12th since October. So outrageous, outrageous run from Scotty. Uh, Rory's back. Plus 850 is the best number you're going to find over at FanDuel. Patrick Cantlay at 14 to 1. Xander is 14 to 1. Ricky is 18 to 1. Victor Hovland is 18 to 1. Um, you know what? I'm going to throw in Fitz and Spieth as well at 22. Who do you like or maybe don't like as a favorite in this event? Yeah. Um, you mentioned that driving distance typically does well here, but for some reason we haven't seen Rory enter the first page of the leaderboard here yet. Um, I, I think he's only come twice, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, maybe only once. Um, I can clarify that in, in the next uh, couple of seconds here. But if I had a lean, Patrick Cantlay to me, trending in the right direction, came fourth here last year at a, at a time when – he struggles in windy, difficult conditions. So I actually thought it was a breakthrough uh, for him in this type of environment. Ended up going, you know, St. Andrews. It was not the type of major championship that I think you and I would want Patrick Cantlay in. But um, I do. I like him at 14 to 1 if I had to pick somebody. Him and Shoffley, I think, have been playing great. Obviously, Scheffler has been doing it. But half of the price. I mean, just line him up for another top five, I guess, and, and call it a day, and hopefully you avoid him getting that spike putting week we all know is going to come eventually. Absolutely, yeah. So the two guys that um, have my interest, and I haven't made a decision either way, and I kind of wanted to talk through it with you a little bit and kind of see how the weather plays out and where the tee times fall. Uh, but Xander, 16-1, to 1, um, was actually available earlier today on Bet Online. I believe it still is. So a top 20 finish for Xander in three of the last four, a win and a 10th at the Scottish Open in terms of course history. Um, he's hitting it really well. He's ball striking third in the field over the last 24 rounds. I always kind of had this inclination with Xander that, um, and I know a lot of people have been like, he's going to like the U S open is going to be the spot where he breaks through. I had always just kind of had this sense that he would be really well suited for an open championship type venue. And this kind of fits in with that mold a little bit. And I think that he's, he's well, his traits should line up with the all around game that you mentioned where he does everything pretty well off the tee approach. He's savvy around the green and he's an above average putter. The other one and the intriguing one and the cloudy one for me is Ricky. Like I sat here at the rocket mortgage and basically said that I think Ricky's playing great, but you're crazy if you bet Ricky at 14 to one. 
Like all the value at that point has been siphoned out of this player and you are buying um, Apple stock, a very popular, think of a very popular brand or stock at an all time high at 14 to one when you could have him at 60 or 80 when he was playing nearly equally as well two months prior. Um, But he's got me intrigued. So he proved me wrong that week. He's only two players in the entire field. Jason are gaining more strokes per round over their last six tournaments than Ricky. Um, It's Scotty and it's Rory. Four top tens in his last five starts. 47th here last year. But, you know, he was there on the weekend. And the only reason that I remember that is because he was actually trying to qualify for the open championship. And we were all kind of rooting for him and watching. And he had really kind of folded over the weekend, but he's just a different player from a confidence standpoint. And another player, um, like I mentioned with Xander, that it just seems so stoic and is, is comfortable in these conditions overseas with a jacket on, if it gets windy and the umbrellas come out, like he's not a player that you're worried that those type of conditions will rattle him. If anything, I think that it's a positive for him because he's able to continue to play his game and not have that affect anything from a swing standpoint. So those are the two that really have my attention. And I'm kind of Honestly, if, if the weather situation ends up working out relatively equal, I'm kind of leaning like Ricky, which is crazy for me to think of. Yeah, I'll say this about Xander. The, the profile of driving distance versus driving accuracy at this course, you highlighted very well. And for Xander, really, his only fault is when he gets wayward with his with, off the tee. Typically, his standard or better in all of the other three categories this year has been very good, which is why we've seen such consistent results. So for me, yeah, I totally agree. I love the setup for him this week. I hope it doesn't, you know, I guess I hope it doesn't peak this week and falter again next week because I think Xander is good enough to be a major champion. Um, You know, he's an Olympic medalist, obviously, so no stranger to big-time victories. So, yeah, profile-wise, I think Xander sets up well. If, If you think that the win at the Rocket opened the floodgates, which we have seen in the past. We saw with Tony Finau a couple of years. Then Ricky Fowler's the way to go. If you were going to see a Nick Taylor reach the culmination of his short-term form at the RBC and we're going to come back to earth a little bit, then Xander's definitely the right play for me. That's why I think Xander – I love Ricky, man, but maybe the win was the capitulation of of a little short-term form. But, again, if it's not Xander winning, I want Ricky to win next week because he certainly deserves a major as well. You're absolutely right. There could be a Nick Taylor aspect of it, who I think missed like three cuts surrounding that win. So it kind of came out of nowhere. But Ricky has really been super consistent. And the putter has really been a difference maker for him as it was sort of during the peak of his his younger career. Um, It's really come back and the ball striking has just been so solid in this next range. Some question marks, but I honestly, I don't know that I'm going to get here, but I can't diminish sort of the value on like a Spieth and a Fitzpatrick at 22. Tommy Fleetwood, I mentioned, has some of the best course history in the field, as does as does Tyrrell Hatton. And, and Tyrrell's playing great. I wish this number was, there's a 22 is the best available on Tyrrell. I think my book had an 18. I would love to see like a 26 on him, and I think I could get behind it. But, you know, he, he's actually 
longer off the tee than you would think. He's he's a good 10 yards, actually, in terms of driving distance longer than, than Fowler, for instance. He's around 303, 304 off the tee on average. And I think that can matter here if you do it consistently. An extra 10 yards consistently, hole after hole, makes a big difference. And he's gaining a full stroke on the field in every category per tournament. So he's he's plus a full stroke off the tee approach around the green and putting in all four of those categories per tournament over the last 24 rounds played. Um, he's really on a consistent run. And we haven't seen him in a few weeks, but I do feel like one of these next two weeks should be an ideal spot for Tyrrell to sort of really have like a breakthrough victory to sort of cement himself as potentially a top 10 player in the world. And I think it could possibly come here. Yeah. I mean, listen, when this guy is on, he can hit, he can hit an iron from basically anywhere inside of 10 feet, you know, and there aren't that many guys that can do that. Right. We saw last week, Cam Young hit one from like two ten on Sunday to like a foot and a half. There's not a lot of guys that can do that in the world. Ty Hatton is certainly one of those guys. On Fleetwood, I wish the number was 30 to 1 because, Joe, honestly, it's going to be this type of thing where Fleetwood wins his first PGA Tour event at the Scottish Open, right? Yeah. You know, he's got it done on the PGA World Tour plenty of times. We know Fleetwood's good. Fleetwood is sneaky strong, too. Like, you're right. I don't know how you said about about Tyrell when he can pump the ball out there. Tommy can't, too. He just kind of clubs down more often. Plays, he doesn't play as aggressive as I need him to. Obviously, everybody knows at the RBC what, what he should have done. We all, in the same situation, would have taken the three-wood out and tried to get it as close to the green as possible. Yep. Um, he's going to win. I don't love the number of 22. I would rather go to Hatton at 22 if I had to pick one of those two guys for sure. Yeah, an interesting one and one that I feel like is relatively overlooked. And he's always in this group, right? Right in these within this group of player. And a player that frankly, over the last two years has won more events and played more consistently probably um, than any of these guys is Matthew Fitzpatrick. He's won a U.S. Open. He's won a Heritage. He won an event. Oh, God, I don't remember the European Tour event that he won, but um, maybe it was Valderrama in there. But but at any rate, he's his level of consistency. And if we're going to talk about distance off the tee, I think that he packs as much as anybody in here. And I think that this 22 number is value but also i wanted to mention that if you're looking into next week he's the best value on the board circa has a a, a 50 to 1 on matt fitzpatrick and in some other books he's he's 33 to 35 and circa i always talk about i think has the best odds and they do pretty much for the open on a lot of players by two points but Fitz is like a 15 to 20 point jump. And I think that getting a recent major champion at 50 to one, they're basically implying that his odds of winning are around 2%. And I think at a course next week overseas um, with his added distance and the way that he can get hot with the putter is really probably the best value play on the board next week. So if you're into sort of looking ahead, I think that he's got a great number out there if you want to go hit Circa. Yeah, I mean, look, 22 to 1 this week or 50 to 1 next week with, let's just call it, Rom, Kepka, yeah. and, and and I know there's Cam. one. It's Cam Smith, sorry. Yeah. yeah, Rom, Kepka, and Cam Smith in the field, and we're going to get double the number. Yeah, to me, that doesn't make sense as much as I love Cam Smith. I'm a huge Cam Smith guy. You know that. Even going to live, I'm a you're a huge Kepka guy. We both yeah. can't not like Rom. So, yeah, again, do those guys make it worth double? 
No, I think there's definite value there. Uh, is Fleetwood right there as well? If he's at 50 to 1, the, honestly. Fleetwood's 33 next week. See, that makes no sense to me then. Yeah. Yeah, well, it doesn't. And Speeth is still like 20. So it was weird that Fitz was like doubled. I'd rather take Speeth to win this week than next week at the same price. Yeah. I yep. mean, that's what, that's what it is basically, right? Like 20 to 1 each week. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Again, I think it's it's just playing the numbers there. And I think Fitzpatrick is the easiest ad for next week. Totally agree. This next group. So Min Woo Lee, I mentioned as a previous champion here, is actually playing really well. Um, yeah, well Shane I'm... Lowry, open champion. Thomas, Homa, Clark. I'm not ready there on Clark. I, I'm not going to probably do Ludwig. But ah, this is crazy because I haven't done this in probably six months. But I'm gonna. I took Justin Thomas. I don't know, man. It, like you can say that it's still not there, and I would agree. But I just think this is when we talked earlier about the opportunity to to buy low on a player. I think this is the lowest that you're you're going to get on him, and I'm going there. Like two top tens in the last three years. Here, he hasn't played great in Open Championships, which I think is a part and sort of built into this number. But he does seem to embrace and enjoy difficult weather tests which is a little bit confusing to me because like think back to to sawgrass when the weather was absolutely bananas and he shot like the low round of the day by three strokes a, a few years ago um a rain jacket warrior in my spot the, but like second in opportunities gained in the field so he's just giving himself consistently looks inside 15 feet if there's one thing that I think could maybe help him in terms of a little bit of confidence. Maybe it's these slower fescue greens is just what the doctor ordered. He's 189th on the PGA tour in three putt avoidance and 166 in putting inside of 10 feet. Maybe this is what sort of turns it because I did see a great performance with the irons at the travelers. It was actually his best week in terms of strokes gained approach since 2021. Now he backed that up with an awful week around the greens an inexplainable week at Detroit golf club, which is probably the strong suit of his game right now. But at some point I feel that he can piece some elements of his game together and whether it's band-aids or duct tape that hold it together He's got the want and the will, I think, to get back into contention. And at 45 to 1, I do think that it's not long if he continues to show good spikes with his iron play that we're going to see numbers like that on him. Yeah. For me, um, the Detroit was was a bit of a letdown. I think maybe sure. that was an obligation uh, kind of thing. It, it didn't seem like it fit his schedule. He, he doesn't like to play that many weeks in a row. That was coming off a U.S. Open to the Travelers. A lot of traveling in there, speaking of Travelers. Um, the Travelers was interesting to me because I, I'm the first to always admit when I'm either wrong or say something funny that goes against me. And I tweeted out after the first eight holes that Justin Thomas's game was done for the season. Like, he just looked so disinterested. And literally, he played the next 63 holes at 23 under. Right. And, and kind of was like, Hey, Jason, it's golf. Like this is what can happen with this guy. But I guess what I saw there is uh, a level of frustration that boiled over to him looking like he didn't care that much, which is a bit concerning to me. Um, I, I guess 45 to one, it's getting more attractive, but if we're going to talk, listen, I, I go through this at least once a season with a golfer, 
Wyndham Clark is my guy this season that I've gone through that it's like, he can't keep playing this good, Joe. He yeah. can't. But he yeah. has. I did it with Kokrak years ago. Remember when Kokrak started going through his run and every week, top 10, top 20. Um, Alex Noren kind of did that last year. Like, I like Alex Noren, but he was top 10 for like seven straight weeks. I feel like we're kind of there with Wyndham Clark, but profile-wise, drives the ball so long. Good putter. Yeah. He's in around the green, just sometimes struggles with his irons, but now he's an elite iron player. It, honestly, uh, I might have to click Wyndham Clark before Justin Thomas, and, and I'm a guy that hasn't been able to play Wyndham Clark for a little while now. I don't blame you. Yeah, I was in the um on the I was with uh like David and and Pat in a tour junkies Discord right before LACC, and someone brought up Wyndham Clark, and I said absolutely not. I was like Wyndham Clark has has peaked and then peaked again. Like he's done, and then he wins, and then three days later he wins. Um, so I've gotten him wrong. I don't know, man. For Thomas, like I've seen rounds, he's put together rounds that are really good. I heard an interview with Ricky a few days ago when they were kind of alluding to like, hey, how weird is it that like, you know, you were playing terrible and like JT was on top of the world and now it's kind of flipped. And he was like, Ricky was basically like, we play together like every day and like he beats me all the time. And like Homa said something at LACC before he stunk it up that he shot like 62. So it's just a matter. I, I feel like it's closer than maybe the stats would lead you to believe right now. And, and that was kind of my, my gut feel there. Maybe this is the time. Yeah, I think um, I, I agree to that before uh, we move out. Ludwig, for me, I, I, I can't bet him to win at 45 to 1 in a field like this. I love the top 20s, though. I'm going to keep betting the top 20, and, and I feel like it'll pay out. I know I think he has like a 22, a 24, a 25, so that bet hasn't paid out. But mm-hmm. I think we're in that range now. He got it last week. I think he'll go on a run. He's so good. Um, this next range, you guys, we got good players too. A couple of Euros that I'm interested in. So, like above 50 to 1, Burns, Sung Jay, Adam Scott. As we get to 60, you get to Corey Connors, Tom Kim, Alex Smalley is 70 to 1, Lucas Herbert, 70 to 1, Aaron Rye, 80, Ryan Fox, 80. Uh, Moronk, 90. Harmon, 90. Uh, Rasmus is 90. Are there any players that you, uh, like, give me one guy in this in this region that you sort of have the most interest in and you think has the best betting value? Okay. Uh, in, in terms of betting value, you already mentioned that players that played well the week before or their start before coming in have typically fared well. I, we've seen Rasmus go on runs before. So I think that at 90 to one, that's pretty good value. If you're into the placement markets, I think you can get some solid top 10 numbers when they, when they drop, if they haven't already at your, at your book, I definitely think that's really good value there with how good he's playing him and his brother, the twins, they have spike weeks. That's what they do. The guy that I'm most frustrated with this season, I've got a couple of guys like that. I'm sure you do is Tom Kim. I I think one week he looks super healthy and then he's got a new set of, you know, that tape going on, man. And I just can't, Oh, God, so frustrating. However, I'll say he was 300 to 1 last year here at this event. And it yeah. kind of it sparked uh, the emergence of Tom Kim, really. I mean, he he parlayed that into a made cut at the Open and then went on the crazy run on the PGA Tour after that through 3M and then obviously winning the Wyndham. So um, I think if if it's going to start for him, if it's if the track, if the train, you know, the Tom, 
the Thomas train is going to get back on the tracks, this would be the place to do it. Given that he's had such good success, it sets up well for him in terms of he's pretty much good everywhere. Doesn't drive the ball quite as long as everybody, obviously, but he's pretty much good everywhere when he's on. So He did uh, last year, yeah. Yeah, super frustrating player this year for me. Uh, but at sixty to one, it's 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 okay. But for me, I think Rasmussen ninety to one looks great. Aaron Rye has been playing better on the PGA Tour, so at eighty to one, I wouldn't pass that over. Yeah, a couple of guys here. Um, I actually bet two sort of predominantly uh, like European blended guys here. Um, one is actually kind of weird that I've, I don't know if I've ever put him on the card before, but it's Lucas Herbert. Um, yeah. Three wins on the DP World Tour in the last three years. And I noticed that his PGA Tour win um, was at the Bermuda Championship in insane weather. Like the wind was blowing so hard. There was like sideways rain and somehow he elevated um, his game and he's gained strokes on approach in three straight. What were you going to say? Yes, what he does. Yeah. Weirdly, he just gets hot in these crazy conditions. A couple of fourth place finishes here back in 2020 yep. when the weather was crazy. The course history is great here. Um, you know, two top fives and a top 15. Uh, actually, earlier this season were the top fives um, and at this event. But the top 15 at the Travelers was a decent, like, step in the right direction. And I saw an article in, in – I got my golf digest that I was reading on vacation this week. And the headline of the article was the best putter in the world. So I'm so ex Jason, I'm so excited to open this article and read about my guy, Denny McCarthy. I almost texted my buddy, Stephen Hennessy. And I'm like, you guys finally did a piece on Denny. Like, I can't wait to read this. And I open it up and it's Lucas Herbert. I was so disappointed, but shout out to Herbert and golf digest. The other one is Moronk, man. 90 to one. I got a Moronk. So his numbers are insane. If you're leaning on strokes gain off the tee and you're looking at a site this week that doesn't carry European tour data, you're doing yourself a disservice because this guy has been tearing it up. He leads the DP world tour and strokes gained off the tee by 0.31 strokes per round over second place. He's a full stroke better off the tee per tournament than the next best player. He's like borderline like the Scotty Scheffler off the tee of the DP World Tour. It's unbelievable. Um, he also is hitting 74% of greens on the DP World Tour, which is third on the entire tour. He's top three in stroke average on the DP World Tour. He won the Italian Open, uh, which is at the Ryder Cup site in May, which I think he's getting close to maybe securing a spot there. And he followed that up with a third and a fifth and gained nine point three strokes ball striking two weeks ago at the bmw international open which was one of the better runs uh, of his career so i do think that in terms of just a value bet if you're going to take a guy that is used to playing over there is used to playing these type of courses and potentially these type of conditions and having success moronk and the, the big poland is having an incredible season he is and like you said all those stats it it, it sounds like Ryder Cup, especially, you know, again, it, it, there's no more Sergio Garcia or Ian Poulters. In, of yeah, you don't think Sergio has a chance? Maybe. Maybe. I like how Sergio, I appreciate the grit of Sergio in trying to qualify for these majors. And like, I hate that, like, Poulter and Westwood and the freaking Majestics, and that team has totally sold their souls and has no care in the world about playing competitive golf ever again Stenson yeah. 
Sergio still has the bug, and I like to see that. So if if they do take anyone, I do think that um, he's sort of shown in his Ryder Cup history and everything that he's done that he still possesses the fire and the will to go out there and like play well for that team. Yeah, and I think in a couple of years when the Ryder Cup comes up again and we've merged everything together, if that's what's going to happen, they're going to look back and they're going to say, man, we didn't pick Sergio and he's now yeah. qualified for the team again. I agree. He's the one out of those five or six guys that you kind of said that like, hey, we're done. Graham McDowell, we are done playing professional golf. Um, we're playing exhibition golf now and clearly it shows. So uh, back to Moronk. Obviously, the guy has incredible spike weeks. And sure, people can make the argument that the DP World Tour field strength is, is not as good as the PGA Tour. Sure, I'll take that. But 0. 0.32 strokes around? I don't care what tour you're playing on. If you're beating the field on average by that much, it's a significant edge for uh, for his game. So, yeah, because if his putter is working basically to the field, he's going to be in play this week. At 90-1, to 1, it looks good. I don't know if... DK prices have dropped yet. I'm sure they probably have. Uh, yep. I would definitely be looking at him this week. Any, uh, like if you were to give me like one long shot bomb, like your Tom Kim of this season that you think may have a huge number and maybe not to win, but maybe just like obviously outperform expectation in DFS or Rainmakers or a top 20 bet. Do you have any names out there? Well, I think a guy that you can pretty much bet uh, top 10 or we'll say top 20, top 20 and miscut. If you want to do a bet like that, if, if they offer it, Brandon Wu is your guy for that. Yeah. All he does is top 20 or miscut this season. I mean, it's incredible. 201. Since, yeah, since the Pebble Beach Pro-Am, we've got a top 20, a top 14, a top 20, a third, a ninth, and a bunch of miscuts outside of that. Uh Guy that loves to grind it out. Speaking of grind it out, you know, had a great finish here last year. One of his is better of the season. So looks like you got him at 150 to one there, just a bit above that, which for me is actually yep. kind of short. Is there a better number out there? There's a 200. 200. Okay. I would look for that, that site with placements. Um, I think top 20, again, a guy that is only going to give you a top 20 or a miscut. Um, I certainly like that. The fact that he's, Lower odds than Nick Taylor, who just won a couple weeks ago, says that there's not a ton of value there. The other value that I'll say is starting to play well, uh, led the field in birdies at the Travelers, was Garrick Higo. Plus, huh. he played pretty decent last week at, at Detroit. So a guy that we know, obviously, he can get incredibly hot with his game. 22-year-old from South Africa. His number is 200, what is it, 300 to one there? Yeah. 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 Uh, certainly a guy that I'd keep an eye on uh, through this next little stretch. Because the fields are going to be weak after, after obviously, the Open Championship. They're going to be weak for a couple of weeks. And I think Garrett Kego might be able to get himself in the mix. 3M Open. Again, this is a big stretch for him. But I think going forward, a name to keep an eye on. Yeah, one that I like for, like, a top 20 or a top 40 market. Um, and I'll actually give credit to um, Bamford. Steve Bamford, Bamford Golf on Twitter uh, sort of tipped this. And where is it now? 
Hold on. Let me find it. Here it is. 350 to one Matthew Southgate. So he tipped him and I looked into him a little bit further. So seven consecutive starts uh, gaining ball striking for Matthew Southgate, a top 10 last week at Himmerland uh, where he finished with the final round 61 uh, fourth and 12th place finishes also this summer on the DP world tour. So he's trending in a little bit of form. And I know that the European tour like hasn't long kept the most reliable strokes gain stats, but two of his best four starts in his entire career, which encompasses over a hundred events of data have come within the last four starts. So two of his best four total starts on approach in his entire career have come within the last month. Um, he's trending in the right direction. He got into the open championship next week already via a 36 hole qualifier a few weeks ago. So he's playing well, he's playing confident. He doesn't sort of have the monkey on his back. He's sort of freed up to play well this week. And I think could have a good chance and could make you some money. Uh, if you're looking for a low end guy in DFS or potentially a top 20 play. Yeah, I love that's that's some great statistics right there. I love that call. He's got no pressure on him, like you said. Um, I have a question for you. You've been doing yeah. this long, you've been doing this long enough with me, so you know this name. And he's a guy that was came in the top five at the Open Championship a couple of years ago, then disappeared for a year. Came back, won a tournament on the DP World Tour, was starting to play well again, now has disappeared again. Two of 13 cuts this season. So obviously he's not playing good, but how Tong Lee. What, what is up with that guy's career? I mean, yeah. And remember, like, was it, was it Harding Park that he was leading into the weekend or, yeah. or one of the, one what of those events with PGA oh, yeah. championship a few years ago? Yeah. He just, he just kind of pops out of nowhere. I want to say there was one of the Dubai events where he was playing really well, but yeah, I think, look, there's a lot of guys and I think that they're like, what do you think the percentage is of DraftKings contests? this week in entries come out of the United States. Like, what do you think in the, in the, let's say there was a Millie maker, like do you think it's 70 to 80% of all entries are coming within the United States or is it more of an international game in your opinion? No, I think it's, it's mainly U S if I had to say, yeah, I guess my point being is I think that there may be a little bit of edge to play. If you're willing to sort of dig in the weeds and go after some of the European tour data and find a site that has some stats, but playing someone like Thurston Lawrence or Pablo Larazable or Matthew Southgate, you may get an advantage over playing like a, a Davis Riley or a Patrick Rogers or someone who plays primarily on the PGA Tour just in terms of just knowledge base of within the amount of entries. And I don't know like if that makes a whole lot of sense, but I think going with some of those players, you know, it's pretty equally. It's out of the top 75 from both tour. And obviously there's a talent gap there, but it's all sort of pricing related and, and baked sort of into there as well for sure um last guy kind of in that range maybe a few more people know about this one because he has played well uh over the last couple of years went through a rut in the beginning of the season but has played very well in the last month and a half it's robert mcintyre from scotland t4 last week in himmerland t14 and t18 three and four weeks ago so a guy a lefty that if he gets his form certainly a guy to keep an eye on and uh, at 7400 you know, he's priced right with like Eric Cole and Austin Eckro, who will probably get a ton of attention, specifically, you know, Cole. Everybody loves him right now. He's the DFS darling. Um, so I do like McIntyre in that range. 
Yeah, Alexander Bjork is right there too. So McIntyre, Moronk, and, and Bjork are three guys who are all playing pretty well. Like Bjork's numbers are fantastic over the wow. last 24 rounds. He's really he's been putting – What's that? He's 14 of 14. He hasn't missed a cut all season. Yeah, he's in his last 24 rounds, he's plus 2.44 strokes gain total on the field, which is which is well better than anyone else in this low seven thousand dollar price range by a significant margin. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that, that's a fun range. I'm not gonna lie, because right at that range, you've got the powerhouses from the PGA tour. And when I say powerhouses, guys that rely on driving distances and Cam Davis and Keith Mitchell. So if it, they kind of fit the mold of the course. So, yeah, I love that range uh, for, for GFS this week. Not going to lie to you. Totally do. Well, listen, I've kept you over an hour. I greatly appreciate your time. Thank you for enlightening me a little bit on, on the Raidmakers game. I really enjoyed that and hope that you guys out there sort of got a little bit of, in, in, you know, inside information on how that all works. It was a pleasure speaking to you as always, Jason. Uh, where What else you got coming out this week in terms of content people may be able to check out? Yeah, so for the Rainmakers stuff, uh, you already mentioned it, the monomaniac, uh, Byron. My man. It looks like he's asking us in the chat right now if, if Brian Harmon's going to reach the 16th fairway. Uh, funny enough, uh, we, we had a good chat about Brian Harmon last week. We do a Rainmakers show every Monday. I get it out right around 6.30. We're going to make it live in the upcoming week, so check that out uh, right through my Twitter handle. And, of course, uh, I'll have my full uh, PGA DFS and betting breakdown on Wednesdays over on Fantasy Golf Bag. I uh, mean, Drew Matthews uh, holding down the, the fort over there. And uh, let's see. I think that's uh, pretty much it for the Rainmakers content. Head over to uh, LuckyTrader.com. You can check out our premium tools for rainmakers there that i was mentioning up at the top uh the scheduler i've got some weekly value metrics and a price estimator so kind of looks at uh that we talked about uh on the top of the show how much your card is actually worth that you have and helps you kind of buy and sell if you're into that game so some cool tools uh and coming out with an optimizer over there pretty soon so that'll be a fun thing once we get it out there Awesome, man. Always grinding. Always good work. Appreciate you uh, coming on as always. And best of luck to, to Drew, of course. You guys holding it down over there on the on the West Coast. And, and Byron, of course, as well as a good friend of mine. So at DFS Golfer on Twitter, if you want to find any of that information. Thank you, Jason, for coming on the show. Good luck this week and good luck next week at the Open, buddy. Thanks, Joe. You too, man. All right. Talk to you soon. All right. Good talk this week. Sorry for running a little long, guys. I just had a lot of questions to sort of to sort of ask my guy there. And he was kind enough to uh, answer some of those for me. So excited to sort of give that a try this week. I missed you guys last week, not doing the show for the John Deere, but wanted to do a quick final thought segment before we kind of get out of here. And a couple things um, really popped into my head. I had some time to think. I mentioned I took 10 days up in the mountains of North Carolina with uh, basically no phone reception. Uh, I just kind of took the time to unplug and make special time and memories with the family. And it was healthy for me, both mentally and physically. And it really allowed me to sort of reconnect with them and with nature and life and rethink um, about personally how I've been struggling with some things personally and my golf game and how I can sort of connect those two for a segment. So with no reception and you have no phone, right? So it basically forces you to spend idle time in thought. Uh, and I have my favorite uh, bushel of vegetation with me and a little bit of clear liquor, uh, which aided in the process and in, in going into deep thought. And a lot of our schedules, right? 
in our social medias and everything around us has these, I'll call them like artificial barriers of time that I was thinking about. And like, what is a, what is a work week? What is a Wednesday? What is a weekend? And how were those sort of created the days of the week, the months, quarterly reports, and they had my guy asking me for, you know, tax stuff for quarterly and to get all that in and all these constructs of time, you know, the more and more I thought about are things that were man-made and created and originally out of organization, but it's crept into our mentality of efficiency, goalkeeping, and and somewhat of, of happiness. And the more I thought about it, like, I'm going to try to shift how I think a little bit. And they're really the only true measures of time, right, are a day and a year. The sun rises the sun falls, the stars come out, you go to sleep, you wake up in the morning. That is a cycle of time. The year is a cycle of time. You have your four seasons, except somewhat down here in Florida, we kind of have one. But it's just those are the natural cycles of life that have always existed. And there's no weekends, there's no work weeks, there's no um, months or anything like that. Every other point of that um, it is not as cyclical or predictable. And I'm going to try to break down some of the constructs of these expectations that I place on myself in terms of productivity and happiness. Like the longer that you extend a time frame, right? If you're looking into something from a two-week result or a month result or a week result or a weekend, the more likely, in my opinion, you are to latch onto something negative that happened within there. Um, it's easier to pinpoint those moments than it is the positive. And the longer that you extend that time frame out of expectation, the more likely that something negative ruins everything else around it, whatever that means to you. Just sort of instead of, of thinking about this longer process, just think about the day, right? Did I wake up? Did I have a good day? Did I have a productive day? And whatever that means to you, just simplifying things and having gratitude at the end of the day for that. And I saw people posting handicaps today uh, on Twitter, and it, it depressed me a little bit because I'm off like three strokes from my low two years ago. And the, the handicap process when you don't play a lot of golf is so big picture. Like my last 20 rounds probably encompasses four or five months worth of scores. And it's been a struggle to get that down. And it's, I'm not enjoying the process as much of trying to get down to a six or a seven handicap, which I really want to be because the time frame is so big. So instead, just think about the days. On days I go to practice, I'm going to try to make an effort to get incrementally better that day. Um, take each day as it comes. If I can go play, it was a good day. And, and, analyze that one round in a way that I can take something positive away from it and take away something that I can work on the next time I'm able to get to the course. And I think that this can be applied to a lot of different aspects of life. Um, I've always been a proponent of goal setting, but I think that sometimes I have too many checkpoints. I have too many markers. If I set a goal for the day and set a goal for the year, I think that is more manageable for me. And maybe that's something I can relay that will help you. And I hope that that's somewhat the point of this segment. But I want something and I want it now. I lack patience. I always have. Um, and this sort of gives me the ability to focus on the long-term goal, which is what's a year from now, and a very, very short-term goal. What do I need this day? 
I've been alive for over 13,000 days. Um, I've been an adult for about 7,000 days. How many good days have I been alive? How many good days have I had? And how many days have I let go by the wayside because of my own mentality or perspective? Um, I'd be a hell of a lucky man to have 13,000 more days on this earth. And I hope to try to keep this perspective that I've had coming off of a 10-day relaxing vacation as long as I possibly can. Stack days together that are good. And I hope each and every one of you can take something from that. Have a great day. Have a great year. I cannot express to you the gratitude that I have and how grateful that I am that you support this show, that you subscribe to this podcast on Spotify or iTunes or check us out on YouTube. It means the absolute world to me. Uh, Preferred Lines is something that I care deeply, deeply about. So make sure to like, comment, subscribe on the way out. Do your part in helping the visibility of this program that I hope that you enjoyed tonight for myself, for my guests, for my friends of the internet. It has been an absolute pleasure. This has been Preferred Lines. Peace and love. I'll see you next week. Uh, Have a great week. Hit a winner. Do your thing. Talk to you soon. Peace. Mm -hmm.